it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Come on! Go! Hey guys, welcome to The Tapping Go. My name is Matt. My name's Freddie. Each week we bring you your rugby fix with interviews with past and present rugby professionals and we get their views on the latest sporting issues. Today we are very lucky to have a World Cup winner, the brains behind the 2003 England squad and true rugby legend, Sir Clive Woodward. Sir Clive, how are you doing today? Thank you, Matt, and uh, good morning or good afternoon, everybody. And it's a real pleasure to be with you and uh, I've always got a great fond... Uh, and the memories of Eton School have been there many times as a, as, a, as a kind of coach and also done quite a bit of work there. So it's very nice to be part of your podcast this morning. Of course. Yeah, so thank you very much for joining us. So I think we could start off is just how have you found quarantine? How have you, it's people interested see how you've been keeping busy? Yeah, I've, uh, it's, it, it, is what it, it is what it is. I think, you know, it's, 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 it sounds a bit strange, but you've got to try and make the most of it. I mean, the, the, the big thing to me was, um, and we're still in quarantine. I'm still working from home, but I'm involved in quite a few businesses, which we've been able to kind of keep going. And these Zoom calls have been kind of uh, pretty impressive, to be honest. And you know, I think before before this, Freddie, the um, um, you know, conference calls are always I always envisioned conference calls in pretty flash boardrooms, and you're sort of conferencing people in New York and Mumbai and all this stuff. But I think this has been the big learning where you're able to do things like this. Um, I've had loads of meeting every day with people around the world on, on Zoom on Zoom calls. So this has helped hugely. I think this will be this this won't go go away. I think you know the the old-fashioned phone call when you're doing business and talking to people is kind of history now. So there's been a lot of good learning. So and to answer your question, just case of every every day, kind of planning your day, your time management for days, you just don't drift in. Yep. You know, trying to keep fit. I was delighted when the golf course is open, but also just um, just try and keep busy and just planning your day properly and, and try, trying to stay reasonably fit as well, which is a big, mm. a big ask. But um, once, once I've enjoyed it, but I've also kind of looked back at it and said, well, I didn't waste that couple of months mm. where I've just sat at home. So I've got to do quite a bit of work as well, which was, which was good. Yeah. Okay, so we'll focus more on rugby now. So one thing which obviously COVID has resulted in is there's going to have to be some changes made to the rugby calendar and more like how rugby is going to be played because obviously we've missed a lot firstly. Um, so what are your thoughts on, so there's talk of trying to align the Southern Hemisphere and the Northern Hemisphere? 
into one big rugby calendar? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of talk. I, I think I think it's, again, I, I've been using in all my business talk and sports terms, when reset, I think reset's a great word at the moment, where everyone's got to just sort of sit back, see what's happening, and, and the game has got to reset. I think rugby is obviously in a very strong position if you watch you know, the, the World Cup and the Six Nations. It's still a great game, which we all love. But I, I do think it's, it's, it's kind of this um, pandemic has kind of highlighted a few real kind of weaknesses of the game as well. And, and I think, you know, we've always spoken about the Northern Hemisphere and the Southern Hemisphere being aligned. Um, and they're not. And, and there would be a far better game if they, if they were. Think of football, you know, the whole... The whole football world, soccer world, seems to run really well. It's well governed. There's no northern hemisphere where rugby's just been stuck by this. So I generally believe, I hope, you know, Bill Bowman's now the, the chairman for four more years. I, I really hope under his chairmanship these next four years they can align the, the calendar and we have this one global game. Uh, will help hugely because at the moment, you know, it's, it's, not, it, it's, it's not benefiting the, the whole, whole game. So... I think there should be an aligned season, north and south, as you all play at the same time. Uh, and it can be done. Um, it's just politically never happened because everyone's looked after their own patches, where I think now everyone's got to take a broader view and really try and align, align the, the world game. And you know, and I think that can happen now because I think this has pushed everyone into a corner. And I think there's a big chance it will happen. Yeah, yeah for sure. So I guess sort of, on this topic of rugby and just going back, so when you first started the England rugby, um, sort of uh, being the head coach, it was still, well, 1995 was when rugby became professional, but it was still sort of almost had that flavour of sort of amateur and it wasn't quite sort of that elite professional sort of setup that became by the end of 2003. What was sort of the, um, how do you make sure that the England rugby sort of became effective and efficient when you first came in? Sort of what changes did you make? I was kind of, I mean, I've always regarded myself as really lucky. I was, you know, I, I kind of, I played for England, played for the Lions, but in the kind of the amateur days, and I've got to stress to all your listeners, it really was amateur. It's, you know, it's like you, you and me playing golf, Matt. <laughs> we're, we're amateurs. We, we, we did it for fun. We did, there was no money involved. Um, and we all had our careers, business careers. You know, I play for England, but I'm playing with teachers, scaffolders, brickies. You know, everyone's got a full-time job. We, we, we played for England in front of, 75,000 people then a bit like we just talked about now a, a big seismic change the game went from amateur to professional and it really was you know, I don't know how old you guys would have been in 95 but 96 would happen but um, not born not even, <laughs> not even born then you know not even born so um you know it, it just went from an amateur game to a professional game literally overnight and we all caught pretty 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 cold by it because certainly in England we weren't expecting it to happen but the game suddenly went from amateur to professional no one kind of understood what it mean but for whatever reason I got the, the first full-time professional coaching job so you know I was I was running my own businesses I was obviously coaching at the time but coaching at amateur level and it was a seismic change make no bones about that it's so suddenly but I, and I'd always said in England were the great amateurs we were more amateur than anybody else you know we just absolutely did it for fun and that reflected on the field of play we weren't that good you know but suddenly the game, game goes professional. You look at England as a, as a rugby country. You know, we've got more players. We've got more money, more wealth. You know, my view was very, very straightforward. Wow, you know, whilst we're the great amateurs, we're now going to be the great professionals. We're going to be more professional than anybody else in the world. We're going to have no excuses anymore for taking on New Zealand and South Africa, Australia, which we can never beat before. You know, and so I was dead lucky. I was the first person in, you know, and I had every chance. I was literally on my own. I was the only person. I was the first full-time coach. So I started to build my team of people. 
And like any business, it takes some time. Second, you start company. But you just start to, 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 you know, and then you start to get the players, you know. And I think that also what I was lucky because I played for England, I, I could eyeball players. Um, if, you know, it's really eyeball even these tough nut players and say, you know, you've got a chance of a lifetime now. You're full time. You've, you've got an opportunity I never had because I couldn't do this full time. I'd love to be in a professional rugby club in that short period of your life. And my job is to make sure they really understand this will go very quickly. When you play for England, you tend to go on forever. It doesn't. It's a very small part of your life. And let's not waste it. So we went, we, and we really started to become, as I said, really professional in everything we did. I started to hire some amazing coaches, put a shoe stall on fitness. You know, we were never, ever fitness or, or fit or strong enough or powerful enough. You know, it took time. So I, I, I came in in 97. Um, you know, I was happy with the first few years. We had a World Cup in 99. We got beat in the quarterfinals. Everyone was trying to fire you and sack you because you just lost in the quarterfinals. But we were kids kind of still building. Then between 99 and 2003, um, they were just probably the best four years ever of English rugby. You know, we just, everything we put in place started to try to come fruition. And, you know, by whatever reasons, we arrived at 2003 as the favourites to win. We're number one ranked team in the world and favourites to win. Because we just put in behind the scenes all the professionalism. The players were brilliant. And the, the biggest thing was just taking on board. This is a real small chance. Unless you're absolutely dedicated. And if anything gets in your way or distracts you, you're not going to be in the team. You know, and people like Lawrence Aladio, Martin Johnson, Johnny Wilkinson, I mean, Jason Robinson, I can name all of them. They were just fantastic. You know, I saw what they did on the pitch. But I also saw what they did outside the pitch. I saw their bodies change, their fitness change, their whole mentality change. And... You know, and it can, it can it can happen. It's just building building any business. You need people, you need, and you need, you need strong people. But you need people with a real passion for what they're doing, with no kind of bullshit, no kind of you know, no if only. Just throw it in the kitchen sink at something, and that's what we did. And you know, I was very fortunate that I was the person who was kind of headed the whole thing up. But um, you know, you, you need great players with the right mindset to actually follow this whole whole thing through. Um, so 2003 is obviously an incredible year, not just the World Cup, but you won the Grand Slam Six Nations and you also beat New Zealand for the first time since 1973. Um, but going to New Zealand for the World Cup, do you not find that was quite a big risk? But obviously you won and so what, also what impact did that then have on the squad? Yeah, it was, it was a kind of a risk. It's, you know, everything's about risk, you know, walking out the door is a risk. Um, it was only a risk because we got some people injured. Um, and I, I kind of thought it, thought it, thought it through, but you know, it was it wasn't just New Zealand. We went to we went to play um, a test match in New Zealand, and we went to play a test match in Australia. I mean, Australia, the team we ended up playing in the final a few months later. So we went to down to New Zealand. Uh, we played a test match. We played the Maoris. Um, it was just if you think about it, we got a World Cup starting in September. We went to New Zealand, Australia in June. And I decided we're going to go full on. We're going to absolutely, you know, we're number one ranked team in the world. We haven't beaten New Zealand down there since whenever you said very long time ago. We never won in Australia. England never won a game in Australia. When you think of it, it's ridiculous. We never beaten Australia ever in Australia. Um, and I went full on and we went down there and we won. We went to New Zealand and beat New Zealand in, in, in Wellington. Um, and you look back now, that's one of the, probably the highlights of a whole coaching career to actually go to New Zealand and win. Not many coaches can actually say they've ever done that. In fact, I can't even think of many at all. To actually go to New Zealand and win a test match a few months before. The, and it just said shockwaves to New Zealand. It was hilarious to be there. You, you think the country just sank. I mean, mm. 
they were absolutely shocked, not just by losing, but by the quality of our team. Because they saw it firsthand. They saw it in, against the Maoris. They saw it in the Test match. So you beat New Zealand, and then you fly over to Sydney, and I'm playing against uh, Eddie Jones's team, who were kind of, you know, had a lot to say for themselves at the time. So that was all good fun as well. So we, we, we beat, New, beat Australia even, even more than we beat New, New Zealand. You know, and I generally believe, it, you know, we got, and we got no injuries. We came to it strong. Everyone absolutely agreed this was the right thing to do then because we, we, got, we got away with it. But I was confident, you know, even, even if we got an injury, you know, I, I guess if we'd lost Martin Johnson or Johnny Wilkinson, that would have been a big setback. But, you know, everyone wanted to go. And I, I think that set the World Cup up, you know, by going there and proving we could beat those two teams. That meant we arrived as the number one ranked team in the world, favourites to win the World Cup. And I just think favourites tend to, tend to win. So was it a risk? It's definitely outside yes. From my point of view, no. If, if your goal is to win the World Cup, and that's what it was, it was the absolute perfect... You know, I'd rather found out any glitches, any weaknesses we had going going to their place and actually sitting at home thinking pretty good about ourselves and not actually having the, the kind of bottle to test ourselves. So, you know, I get it. You know, it's one of my one of my best kind of ever memories. You know, winning in New Zealand is is a, is a precious moment. That's the biggest comment I can play in New Zealand. I love the New Zealand rugby. I love what they stand for, their culture, everything. I love everything about New Zealand rugby. That's why to go and win there is massive because it's just huge respect. And I paid them the ultimate respect by taking my full team there. And I wanted to do that. And I thought that that's what won the World Cup in the end, I think. Would you say that's sort of one of the biggest differences that sort of made your 2003 campaign a success and your 1999 campaign less so? Because before the World Cup in 1999, you played, was it America and Canada? Yeah. Yeah, possibly. But no, in 99, we just weren't ready, Matt. Okay. Is, you know, you know, as simple as that. The game went professional in 97. We were so far behind the Southern Hemisphere just in terms of our mindset, our physique, our fitness. You can't catch it up that quick. And it wasn't even two years. It's probably about, you know, I was probably, I was probably in the job about 16, 17 months, about a year and a half. And then you're playing New Zealand. We were way behind. You know, there's no way we could have won the World Cup in 99. It was just impossible to do. We, we weren't as good as the teams. But what we did realise after the night, you know, we have the players. There's no doubt we got the players. We always have had, by the way. England have got more players than anybody else. We've always had the players to, to beat anyone in the world. Um, we always will have because we've got more numbers. Um, but we were just so far behind in the way we played the game, the, the way we actually played, the pace we played at, the fitness. And to me, it was just so exciting because, right, as long as I wasn't going to get fired, which few people wanted me fired in 99. Um, so you get through all that sort of nonsense. As long as you got fit enough and you got all the players with you, um, you know, and the players were so excited. You know, we're obviously disappointed to lose in 99 the quarterfinals, but everyone just said, okay, fine, you know, we know what we're going to do now. We've got four years. And we did it. I mean, I think the next, that, that four years between 99 and 2003, we played something like 50 games of rugby, 50 test matches, and won 46. I mean, the win-loss ratio was just astonishing. We beat the Southern Hemisphere 14 times in a row, home and away. We didn't lose to the Southern Hemisphere team between, between those World Cups. So when the time, time we arrived at the World Cup, including the, the games we just spoke about, you're just in a great shape. And I've often said to, to myself, if we'd not won in 2003, I'm not sure how it would have turned out. I don't think I'd have been a very nice person because... <laughs> To actually do all that work, to arrive at favourites to win and then not win, and then we just won by just you know a hair's breadth with one drop goal it was quite scary, really. Uh, but we did win, and that's what it's all about. 
you talked there about being your betting favourites, world number ones. Did this have any effect on the squad? Did it create any complacency or did, did the players? No, I think, think I think I think the opposite. I I, I just as I said before, Craig. I think favourites. I think we need favourites. The pressure mounts. I think in professional sport, uh, including rugby, the pressure is good. Mm. Meaning, you know, the bigger the game, the more pressure you're under. Um, when you're lucky enough to know. Martin Johnson, Wilkinson, they love pressure. They, they don't want to play in a, in a game they're going to win by 40, 50 points. They want to win a game. That's 50, they want to play in a game that's 50-50. A lot of people saying they're going to lose. They, they want the pressure. That's why you, you do it. So to arrive at the World Cup as favourites, the pressure was enormous. And I built that up. I make no bones about it. I, I built the pressure up. I said, someone's got to beat us. You know, we're number one team. Someone's got to beat be this team. I was doing it for a reason. I wasn't doing it by trying to be a smart ass or trying to say clever things. I was just doing it because I just knew these players. The more pressure you put them under, the better they played. My worry was when you played, you know, a team we were supposed to be and we weren't quite there mentally. That's when my, my worry set in. The top players love World Cup finals. They love Olympic Games. They love that more moment in time where you go test yourselves. And so we built it up. So I, I made no bones about it. I, I went on the front foot and said, you know, someone's going to beat us. We're number one team in the world. Someone's going to beat us to win the World Cup. And no one, no one did. Yeah. yeah. So in the World Cup, so the quarterfinals, you played Wales. And I guess it didn't go as smoothly as all your other games. What sort of impact did that have on the team? Was there any doubt? Or was there just after that match, you just put it behind and moved on? No, as I said before, that was, that was the worry. I mean, we were red hot favourites to beat Wales. Um, but they were a really good team. They were coached by Steve Hansen, who's the All Blacks, who went on to coach the All Blacks. Great guy, great coach. Wales are a really good team, but we haven't lost for Wales for a few years. And we, we played them in a friendly in, in August um, and put 50 points on them with our second team. And, you know, is that, that week, you know, one of my favourite ever games was going to New Zealand and winning. One of my worst ever games was that Wales quarterfinal. Because all week, you just knew we weren't there. Because everyone was thought it was a foregone conclusion. And, it, and it, it, can, it can happen. And that is a nightmare for a coach. Because no matter what you say, what you do, you just knew we weren't in the, we weren't, uh, you know, there was no fear factor. Everyone thought it was going to win, including the players. including, And, 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 it, and it was just awful. And that first half against Wales, they absolutely smashed us. You know, we, we've gone in losing whatever it was. I think we're 10-3 down at half time or something. And that, you know, that half time was my biggest ever half time in terms of, you know, chucking teacups around and saying the right things because, you know, we're going home. We're, we're going home to be ridiculed. You know, our life will never be the same again. If we'd lost to Wales, you know, in the, in the quarterfinals of the World Cup, when the favourites to win it, I, I, I'd say, well, please, well, I won't be chatting to you two guys this afternoon. You know? So <laughs> your whole life changes at one moment in time. And we get through it. But that's, again, the champion team. We were under massive pressure then, Matt, in that second half. And we played really well in the second half and we ended up winning the game you know, reasonably well. But, um, you know, what happens in World Cups, you, you never, every, there's always going to be that one couple of games. We played Samoa. We've got, we played Western Samoa and we could have lost that game because, again, you know, they were really good. Pat Lamb, there's all these great players in, in, their, in their team. And suddenly, so it's a World Cup and it's still 15 against 15. And uh, we, that, that was almost an upset. So, to be honest, in, throughout that World Cup, we didn't play... We played okay. The best game in the World Cup was semi-final. We played France in the semi-final and we, we smashed them. We absolutely obliterated France. And so that was our best game in terms of, you know, if you're marking it from a technical point of view and how we, how we won the game. And that was because we had that big scare against Wales in the quarterfinals. We're now playing France. 
France had obliterated Ireland in, the quarter, in their quarter-final. Everyone thought France would win this game. So suddenly, everyone's building up France and Gautier and all these guys in their team and all these... And we were just brilliant that game. That was the best. And I didn't need to even speak that week. You know, every week you see everyone was just so focused because we knew we had a better team than France and that was our, our best game. Yeah. So going into the final, going to any World Cup match, you don't... Did you plan for extra time? Did you anticipate it? Had you done some form of training? To create some sort of like system where you knew you'd do this if it went got yeah, this far. Yeah, we we totally we, we spoke about it. We spoke every, you know every, every all those knockout games go to extra time. You know, and, um, I'd now you know I'd played loads of times for England and the Lions, but I'd never ever played or coached a team in extra time ever. Hmm. You know, in in '99 World Cup, nothing went to extra time, so we didn't make you know the the, the quarter the quarterfinals. Champions finals can go to this, but yeah, we spoke about it for sure. And also as a coach, you got to got to prepare kind of mentally for this. I mean, we've got to kind of, you know, what all this kind of what if scenarios. So yeah, I had it, I had it sort of written down everything kind of what if, what if, what if, what if, and especially when you're making substitutes in terms of yeah. this sort of stuff. And what I'm most proud about in that, in that final, it's interesting today when you watch rugby, when, you know, all the benches get unloaded, everybody's on the pitch. Um, you know, we, we, we went to a World Cup, played 30 minutes extra time, and the final whistle went, we still had four players on the bench. So it was me having to not panic and thinking, well, it's extra time, we need fresh legs on, all this stuff. We didn't need fresh legs on. The team was so fit. And if anyone was, anyone was injured, you're obviously coming off. If anyone was playing badly, they're coming off. But we only put three subs on out of, out of seven, you know, on the left four on the bench. So I could have, you know, a lot of, I remember, you know, people talking to me during that period, saying, get him on, get him on. You know, these are my other, other kind of coaches Think about putting him on. And I'm really pleased I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm looking back now, I've analysed my own performance during that game, especially the extra time. Did we make the right subs? Absolutely. Did I, I not, didn't panic under pressure to put fresh legs on because we weren't tired. It wasn't a tiring game. We were the fittest team in the, in the you know, and if that's your best starting number nine, if Matt Dawson gets picked at nine to start for England, why are you going to take him off? You know, yeah, in, exactly. you get extra time. And, I see so many teams today and it frustrates the hell out of me, to be honest. And I don't know if it happens in, in your teams, but, you know, the coaches just putting the bench on just to almost give them a game. There's no reason to put them on. I think it's a real, it's a real negative of rugby at the moment where, you know, even international level, you know, you see it with 20 minutes ago, props go off and everyone, you know, and, and I think it's ruining the game in many respects. And I think if you're on the bench, you're on the bench. Simple as simple as that. You shouldn't expect to come on or be told you're definitely going to come on. So I, I don't agree with, um, I think it's, it's Eddie Jones scoring this phrase, you know, starters and finishers. I really don't like that. You know, mm. I want to be a starter and you, you name me somebody who wants to be on the bench, I'll, I'll, I'll name that person a, a loser. You know, if you want to be on the bench, you're, you're not a winner. You know, no one should want to be on the bench in rugby. You want to be starting a game 1-15 to 15 and staying on the field. And you almost see players coming off the field, almost seem happy they're coming off. And to me, I'd be going nuts if I was taken off the pitch as a, as a rugby mm. player, if I'm a coach. Yeah. So obviously, you weren't just a coach of England, but you then went on to the Lions. And, um, what would you say was like, did you have to change your coaching, the way you coached for each side? Yeah, listen, the Lions, the Lions I mean, I, I played for the Lions and went on two Lions tours as a player in South Africa in 1980 and New Zealand in 83. So I kind of loved the Lions, but, you know, it, it, was, I was probably, it was probably a mistake. I, I, I was, you know, I was asked to coach the Lions. I didn't apply for the job. I really kind of struggled with the Lions, to be honest, because I've always, you know, my, my big thing was coaching England. I didn't see the Lions as a step up to me. And I was asked to coach the Lions because we won the World Cup. So I, I did it. I did my, did my best at it. But 
looking back now, the way the way I do things, uh, the way I kind of build teams, it's a very different skill set needed. You know, I've got massive, massive respect for Gatland, especially and Ian McGeek, and he's because it's a very challenging thing. And you know, I'm kind of very English, and you know, you spend all the years trying to knock the heads off these guys, and suddenly you're trying to coach them. You know, in your team, that you're all part of your team. So I kind of. I kind of enjoyed it in a perverse way, but we went down there, we got beat, and we got beat by a really top New Zealand team in 2005. You know, um, Carter was just coming in the team, you know, all these amazing players. They're, they're a great team. And we, we had a team that just wasn't good enough. Would I have done much differently? No. Um, but it's, you know, it's kind of, a, it's kind of an eight-week challenge. It's a totally different, you know, building a team takes time. And suddenly you're given this challenge with a huge kind of pressure on you to actually take on the number one team in the world in New Zealand. And I, I just, I just, I didn't, I mean, I didn't struggle with it. I just didn't enjoy it. Meaning I, I kind of enjoyed the experience of doing it, but I didn't enjoy it thinking, wow, that was an amazing experience. I just kind of thought, yeah, this is all the odds were stacked against us here. And, you know, you can still win, which, which has been proven, but um, it was, it was a tough, tough time in many, many ways, but you know, that those, that's what that's like. Well, how did you sort of in training sort of merge all the players so that they didn't have any um, sort of conflict, well, not, not directly, but sort of friction between the countries, four countries? Yeah, you, you just kind of, I never had that. I mean, I think everyone comes in knowing it's different. You, you know, these, yeah. these players, are all, they're all glad to get picked for Lions. It's a huge honour for them. And we had no, off the pitch play, though, unless, unless you can tell me differently, off the pitch play was fine. We had no issues with anybody. But, you know, selection is really tough. You know, just imagine, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm coaching, I'm coaching of England. I just won a World Cup. I've been to New Zealand and won. So there's nothing about going to New Zealand worried me. I've been to Technotin New Zealand. I was the one coach who actually done that. So nothing worried me about it. It was, it was just, you know, injuries came in. The first test, O'Driscoll uh, lasted 30 seconds. The captain gets dumped on his head, gets a ditch, shoulder dislocated. You know, so just everything just didn't go our way. And you can make as many excuses as you want. I've got an armful of excuses. At the end of the day, we got beat by a better team. Um, and I don't think, to be totally honest, could I have done anything differently? No. I don't think I would have done anything that much differently. You know, and, and you kind of can live with it because, you know, I threw the kitchen sink at it and maybe if, if I'm being really critical of myself, I played too much. I kind of tried to get everything I did with England over some five <laughs> or six year period into around eight weeks. And, and if players didn't know me, understand me, which obviously the Welsh, Irish and Scots players didn't know that I think they struggled with it a bit. And, you know, and then, you know, Martin Johnson's retired. Johnny was injured. Lawrence is injured. All, all the English players aren't, aren't in, the, in, the, in the actual team. So, you know, when, when you, when you take the Lions job on, which I did in whenever 2004, like us all, I've got my team written down. You know, I've got, you know, I've got my English players who are automatic, you know, Johnson, Delalio, Wilkinson, then I've added in, Paul O'Connell and O'Driscoll and you know probably Gavin Henson from, from Wales and you got he's got wow that's the team can win in New Zealand so I went there going like we can beat in New Zealand of course then when I write my first team out two three years later it's nothing like that team you just everything haven't changed and it, it's uh, I often say to coaches you know it's, it's amazing how good a coach you become when you got a full full strength team um, and it's um, in 2003 I was, you know when we played that World Cup final I've got my absolute full strength team. Not a single player is, is not there through injury or anything. So you get a bit of luck, but I think you get luck because you, you train properly. You don't get injuries. 
And then when I announced my full on my side to play against New Zealand in 2005, it was, it was, it was nothing like what I was envisaging the team would be. And you need, you need that. We didn't have that. So you, you can talk about that, but you know, I, I threw my kitchen sink at it. It, it just didn't happen. And we, we got beaten. Yeah. But also the history of the Lions, I think before, before, so certainly in 2005, we'd been there 11 times and lost 10. So I wasn't exactly changing the, the, the kind of the, the, not exactly the way around. It wasn't a yeah. big upset. So we went there and got beat. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things. So obviously Eddie Jones' side this year almost went as far as you guys in 2003. Um, where do you think that they really failed? Where did they in the final? What went wrong? In your opinion, yeah, I'd, I'd, I was, yeah I'd, it, I think you know, I was there. Obviously, I was there working for the TV. I was there with ITV. Um, it was really, and I still, it's still not really been explained. And I, that's why my, my one criticism of, of Eddie and the RFU that they've not really sat down and tried to explain what happened, because the semi-final game against New Zealand was, and I can say this categorically, probably the best I've ever seen an England team play. I mean, that was a strong New Zealand team who were favourites to win that game. And being in, being in and as I tried to say to you before, you know, it's interesting because, you know, New Zealand were favourites to win and that England team, which is a really good England team, make no bones about it, that, that team in terms of their talent from, you know, Marrow, um, Farrell, these guys. I mean, it was an amazing team. And they were full strength. That, you know, there was no injuries. There, everyone was there. And, but you just felt good that week because having to experience this, you just felt this England going to play well this weekend because there's a real fear factor. You know, this was, a, yeah, and you get a team of players who've been kind of written off, not written off, but sort of said, you know, New Zealand are going to win this by 20 points. And I said, England, England win this because we've got a good team here. Yeah. And it was just fantastic. And to watch them play was just brilliant. And when it was, you know, I, I, I won't put it as up as good as the 2003 <laughs> stuff, but it was, it was close. And it was great to be there, great to be English, and it was just amazing. And you thought everything was, and all week you feel this edge. And what happens the next week, you, to just a complete reverse. And you just felt, you know, and, and um, South Africa played awful in their semi final against Wales and straight through. And Wales could have won that game. So South Africa made the final, and England have just blitzed this New Zealand team, which doesn't really happen ever in anyone's lifetime. Everyone's saying it's the best ever performance of any English team, any sport. And so suddenly, then that last week, I mean, I'm in Japan, I can just feel this. Everyone's going around, it's 20 points, 30 points. You know, this, and you can just feel, and this, I've got no doubt, somehow got into the heads of the England team and the coach. That they, mm. got, they got into there. And it's a bit like what I explained before, our game against Wales in the quarterfinals in 2003. Once that's in your heads, poof, that is a not a good place to be. You know, and I just saw some stuff all through all through the week, and I'm going to, and I'm writing in the Daily Mail, in my in the in where, where I do a column for. I'm just catching everyone, guys, for, for goodness sake, everyone, just smell the coffee here. This will be a close game. On the, on the yep. morning of the game, I said, "Hang on, hang on to your seats, guys. This will go to the wire. This will go to the wire." And I was actually proved not even right because it didn't even go to the wire. We got smashed. You know, mm. when you're watching the game, and that's the most disappointing thing. If we'd lost 29-30 in a brilliant final. And they dropped a goal an extra time and all this sort of stuff. I'd have gone, great, that's, that can happen. Mm. But to go and not fire a shot in the World Cup final when you're red hot favourites to win, that's still not been explained. I can't explain it because I'm not close enough to it. I just, you, just, you can just see somehow. I, and I, my personal view is a lot of 
distractions came into that team that week and they allowed themselves to be distracted. And that can happen so, so closely. You know, I had this great job with the Team GB with the, the Olympics. And, you know, my experience was just to say the same thing. You know, when, when you make, if you're an athlete in the Olympics, just to give, so you try and understand this, you know, and you're a successful athlete and you make an Olympic final, the distractions are huge from the media, from parents, from friends. Everyone's suddenly your best friend. Everyone wants to get close to you. Everyone's trying to, if you get distracted and, and the people you're competing with do not get distracted, you can get beat. This is what happens. Mm. This is why favorites lose. And it happened to England. It's never been explained. And I, I, you know, I, was, in the, I was in the competition studio with Brian Habana and Johnny Wilkinson. And, the, and we, after 10 minutes, we started off. And you can see now Billy in a pole has passed the ball behind. Farrell, the ball's gone down. We started so badly. And after mm. 10 minutes, I've, I've said to Brian Habana, this is, uh, I'm, I am pleased with what I've written in the paper because I've said, this is, this is not going to be a 20-point game. This is going to be close. And all I know, all week's time, I think that there's so much confidence and there's so much stuff in the papers. In, in Japan, it was reported that England had already organised a victory parade in um, Trafalgar Square for the Tuesday after the World Cup. And if, if you know these South African players, you know, that would have, that would have been on the team room wall, massive about Wednesday. Yeah. And you South Africans, you see them, these massive big lumps in South Africa just sharpening their studs, going, okay, let's wait till Saturday. And you heard nothing from South Africans all week. They were like, even not in people didn't interview them. And it was all about England and how much they're going to win. And, and it was just awful to see. And because, you know, I, I just know if, if we'd lost in 2003 and not fired a shot, I just couldn't have, I don't know what I'd have done because I, I, I don't know what I'd have done. It'd just been the most awful thing. So, you know, that's going to take some recovering from those guys because they know they should have won the World Cup final. And they didn't. And it's never been really explained because no one really knows what happened behind the scenes because there's been no kind of proper inquiry into it. I suppose the one good thing is it's a very young English team. So they've got 2023 to almost try. No, you're right. You can always, you, you know, on, on, it's, a, it's a good point. The answer is yes. Um, a lot of that team will be there. Uh, I just hope they're hurting. Um, but it's a long time to wait four years. But be very, very clear, I'm, I'm involved. I do a lot of stuff in France now. I'm part of a ski academy in the south of France. There's going to be one special French team coming out in four years' time as well. I've seen the quality yeah. of their players. They're playing at home. You know, France, of this big France. I love, I love French rugby, as you probably tell. I love French rugby. Um, France got a great team. They've got their coaching sorted out. They're also yeah. hurting from, from Japan. They're playing at home. You know, I went to see them win World Cup finals in football in, in, in France. These France are a good rugby nation. So you add on, to, you add, add France playing at home, to, and then they just beat England in the Six Nations in, in Paris. Uh, and the French will have no fear of England. That's the other thing. There's, there'll be no fear factor of England coming from, from France. So they're going to be, to me, probably the favourites for the World Cup. Then mm. South Africa are going to be there. Their, their, their team was, was pretty young as well. They won the World Cup. So they're going to get better and better. So they're going to be strong. So you can say England are going to be strong. Yeah, we're going to be a team. But, you know, that was their chance. You don't get many chances in life where, for whatever reason, you know, they, um, they, 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 they make the World Cup final. They're red-hot favourites. You don't win it. That's going to take some getting over. And also, the selection of the team. With England, got so many good players. And they really have got a lot of really yeah, good players. Definitely. So England, of course, they're going to be right there in, in 2000 and whatever it is, in four years' time, three years' time, whatever it is now. But make no bones about it, other teams will be there as well, led by France. Mm. And they've yep. got a really good team. They really have got, and they'll be four years older. 
than, than they were now. Okay. So there's a current trend at the moment where we see that um, the balance between attack and rugby and defense and rugby, I'd say sort of the defense is overpowered and it's becoming increasingly uh, difficult for the teams to sort of the attacking teams to penetrate the lines of the defense. Um, and I read an article recently saying that sort of the, the lines and sort of the tactics that he employed in the 2003 World Cup is what we will probably see in the future for these attacking teams. Um, how do you see sort of the future of attacking rugby go? Yeah, it's a good question, Matt. I mean, uh, I'm pretty passionate about this subject, to be honest, because if I just, let me use example. If I was going to coach you guys at Eat, Eaton School, I promise you the number one thing I'd say to you is say, right, guys, we're going to play the game faster than anybody else has ever seen. We're going to play faster than you've ever played the game before. When I say faster, it doesn't mean like running around like headless chickens. It's just the speed you play the game at. The 2003 side, and I had an interesting conversation with Maro Tojo the other day, which he looked to me like I was on another planet. I said, you know, we play the game, the 2003 team play the game so much quicker than you guys play uh, today. He looked at me, I said, what, what do you mean? I said, well, quite simply, let me just go through one scenario. This lovely thing called box kick. You watch the 2003 team play, we never box kicked, ever, ever. Because what happens today is, and just kind of, I can just see it now, you, you kind of win the ball, you go to a ruck, teams slow their own ball down. You know, the scrum half will go there, put his foot on the ball, stop the game, put people in position, set up a pod to take the ball up. But usually they just kick the ball up in the air. Why do you want to kick the ball up in the air, get the ball 30 yards away? The opposition get it, they do the same thing, they kick it back in the box kick. And everyone just plays so slowly. So when I say play quick, I mean, when, the, when, you, hit, when, you, when you get, to, when I say quick, for example, when you get to a ruck, you know, the first person there just moves the ball. You don't slow the ball down. You don't transfer. You just play quick, quick, quick. And if you play quickly, the defences can't organise quick enough. And you play quick over 80 minutes, you're fit enough to play this way. You're going to win the game. So the speed of the ball from ruck is absolutely key. Uh, and forget all this box kicking nonsense because I just don't get it. I just don't get it at all. If you're going to kick the ball, just smash it miles downfield, downtown, and put a chase on. I don't see it. And then, you, then you're actually got some time to get yourself sorted out. We want to play quickly. We want to play quickly from scrums. You know, scrums to me are to restart the game. You know, we had a fantastic scrum, but our front, our front row, you know, Woodman, um, Vickery, Thompson, they could all play in the back row. They were quick players. They can pass the ball. So we selected a team from one to 15 to play really quickly. So the ball from the scrum goes in, out, away, it's gone. The ball from the line out, the same thing. The ball goes in, we win the ball, bang, it's gone. We don't hang around. We just speed the whole game up. 22 dropouts. Everything's done quickly. So, you know, people talk about lines of running and all offloads, all this stuff. Great. That's just a bonus. But unless your mindset is going to go out there and play so quickly, defense is going to win. And when you get two teams go out there, we're both going to play slowly, both focusing on defense. You've just got an awful game of rugby, you know, yeah. and, you, and you, you saw that. In the, in, in, there were some great games in the World Cup headed by Japan. Japan, to me, made the World Cup because they just played the game so fast. And the Northern Hemisphere team, Scotland and Ireland, couldn't live with them. And everyone said, crikey, Japan have just beaten Scotland and Ireland. They beat them because they played so quickly. Because 15 players were well coached, had the fitness of their lives. And that's what we did in 2003. And it's funny, you, people look back at 2003 and you, you see these iconic figures of Delalio and Johnson. They were quick. Martin Johnson for second row was quick. He was, he was an amazing athlete, but he could move the ball. We used to play the game so quickly. Just watch the game. i love to get, if you've got some time on your hands, just do analysis about the amount of time the ball's in play in the 2003 team 
compared to the amount of time the ball's in play now, but more about the speed it's moving at. So you're not getting 20 phases of slow ball. Big deal. And I just think coaches don't get that. I, I totally get that. And I think, I think, and I'll say this, this is going to cause some headlines. I just think the, um, you know, if you get more backs coaching the teams, you have a better game of rugby going on because the backs don't want to play flipping slowly and get smashed up by people. Yeah. They want to play the quickly and run the ball around. But my view is forwards want to do that as well. Forwards want to play the ball in hand. They want to play quickly. Definitely. If you're going to go to rucks and just box kick, you've got a really rubbish game. I won't, want to, I won't coach that way. And every team I've coached from Henley to London Irish to Bath to England and the 23s, England would all play quickly in the World one. Because if you get to the right mindset going and players who want to play quickly, you, you can win. And, you know, defences are totally on top of them because the opposition just plays so, so slowly. Yeah. That makes sense to you guys. Yeah, yeah that's great. It's funny um, how so, you yeah, think... oh, oh, no, you go, Matt. Sorry. It's funny how you compare to Japan and um, England, uh, 2003, and Japan in the recent World Cup because they both, I think, had Calvin Morris involved and they both have that sort of fast-paced sort of fitness um, element. But yeah, sorry. Freddie, to you. Um, yeah, so I think that's all we've got time for. But just one final thing which we've asked in every podcast is whoever our guest is, is their favourite moment in their career? You've obviously listed quite a few today, but if you had to pick one that you wouldn't trade for anything, would it be that? I mean, obviously, the, 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 obviously the, World, the World Cup final is, 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 a, yeah. is a magic moment and Johnny's drop goal and all that stuff. But I, I, would, I would definitely say, the, put this way, the best night of my career was winning in New Zealand in Wellington. <laughs> that was one of just the best celebrations in a good way. I remember going out with all, not, not the players, I never went out with the players, but went out with all the coaching team. We went to this pub in, in Wellington and the Kiwis were brilliant. They literally stood up and applauded us. And to go to New Zealand to sit in this, and the pub was called the uh, the Hummingbird. So just to add some real detail to it, we went to a pub called the Hummingbird, which never been there before in my life, but it was it was in Wellington. And we spent the, the night there with the Kiwis, with all these New Zealand supporters, fans, mm. and they were just so good. And that was just one night you never ever forget. And just to kind of, you know, just talk, talk rugby with those guys, but the respect they showed you for having gone and won in New Zealand. And, you know, that's, that was probably my, if I could really live one night, that would be the one night I'd, I'd want to go back to <laughs> after beating New Zealand was, was fantastic. Obviously, the World Cup final, Johnny's drop goal, that was, that was magic. But in terms of yeah. real rugby, to go to New Zealand and win was, was pretty special. Amazing. Thank you so much, Sir Clive. Um, this has been awesome for us. I think our listeners yeah, are going to love this as well. <laughs> Freddie, Matt, great to talk to you. Good luck with all your careers. Now, you've actually left Eton, have you? You've uh, yeah. left Eton. Yeah. 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 Okay, well, good, good luck with whatever you're doing. And you've got my contact details now. So if I can help in any way, just keep in touch and drop me an email. Thank you so much. Thank you. it's all much. over, we, we can actually meet up for a beer sometime. That'd be beautiful. Yeah, we'd love Wonderful. to. Anytime. <laughs> all right, mate. Good luck, guys. Thank Perfect. you. Thank, thank you very you. much. Bye. Bye bye. And once again, can we thank you, our listeners, for tuning in? I think we all agree Sir Clive was amazing. But next week, we're going to go try and get even bigger and better. So until then, keep streaming, keep following us on Instagram for sneak peeks next week. We'll see you very soon. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.